Welcome, everybody. I want to start with a call to worship. This call to worship is a very simple one, and it's suitable for a new year. It's called a new day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. This is the year that the Lord has begun. We will be glad and rejoice in it. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to those who seek him. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. So we've been doing a new beginning series for the last four weeks with different members of our congregation taking completely different themes. And I felt the one I wanted to use was resilience, which is a fancy word for just knowing how to keep going. Human endurance is amazing. When people put their mind to it, they can do amazing things. And the person who sprang to mind was Shackleton. 1914, just before war broke out, he led an expedition in a ship that had sail and steam called the Endurance. 27 men and a cat. And I believe they had horses and dogs as well, but they didn't do so well. But even though the ship got crushed by the ice and sank to the bottom, and they, it took them two years to get back, not one person perished because of the endurance and the leadership of Shackleton. And in fact, at the moment, Dan Snow is part of an expedition uh, down there looking for where that wreck is. And they're hoping to find it and see what kind of state it's in. So that was Shackleton. That's human endurance. Do you remember last year, there was a guy, you may not know his name, but you'll know what he did, Kevin Sinfield, who did seven marathons in seven days and raised five million pounds on behalf of his friend Rob Burrows, who was a, a fellow member of our rugby league team. Um, and then, as if that wasn't enough, he thought, I'll race some more, and I'll do 101 miles in 24 hours. Incredible. That's human endurance. And of course, we've all known a bit of it as we've survived the last two years with COVID, haven't we? All sorts of things. Restricted life, wearing of masks, um, people around us becoming ill and some dying, and people not being able to go to funerals because they couldn't, the, the rules wouldn't allow them, not being able to meet in each other's homes. It's been a difficult couple of years and it's not over yet. So we know a bit about resilience. The natural world tells us as well. Do you know that in Arizona, you see tumbleweed in westerns that kind of rolls down the streets of these western outposts. That's because they don't have any roots. But the cacti that grow huge in the same desert where there's no water have roots that go down 60 feet. Can you imagine roots that go down 60 feet? I cannot. But that's why they survive, because they get to the water table way down below the desert. So that's kind of the theme. That's where we're going. Psalm 92. 
I was drawn to this psalm because when I was about 14 and I had become a Christian and I was beginning to read the Bible and try and understand it better, I went to a conference where someone was preaching on this and it was a light bulb moment for me. I thought, wow, you can look behind the words and understand what Scripture is saying better if you do a bit of digging. So I started doing a bit of digging. And I still remember making notes on all this just as a boy that reminded me of what it means for the righteous to flourish as the palm tree and grow as the cedar of Lebanon. Who are the righteous? Well, you tend to think of righteous people as being better than me or uh, people who set themselves up as being the paragons of virtue in society. Actually, it's just an old-fashioned word. But what it means is people who are right with God. And in the Old Testament, there were loads of people who were right with God. One of the obvious ones was Abraham, because it says that his faith was counted to him as if he was righteous, right with God. And um, in Ephesians, Paul says, it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of our own doing, it's the gift of God. We've been saved by grace so that nobody can boast that they've made it by themselves. So being righteous is not something about having climbed the ladder to get to the top of purity. It's about being right with God. And that doesn't mean that you don't sin, but it means that you're still right with God because God sees you as righteous. So, having got that out of the way, it says the righteous shall flourish as the palm tree. Um, flourishing just means having a good life. Do you have a good life? If you are right with God, do you feel you have a good life? A life that is well-rounded and is doing all the things that God wants you to do? That is what the righteous are like. And why are we like palm trees? Well, I've got a picture of a palm tree. See, it's in a desert, and yet it's growing. It's strong. It's green. That's because its roots go down deep. And the palm tree survives in the desert because its roots go deep. And that's really the message I want to bring with you today, that if you have shallow roots, you're going to be unstable. We had a caravan uh, in Tapeport, and that's right next to a forest where there was a, a brilliant, huge trees uh, beside a car park. And one summer we came and were shocked to find that they'd all been cut down. And the reason they'd been cut down was they were liable to fall because the roots weren't deep. The roots were spreading, but they were shallow. And they didn't go down deep into the soil. So they had to be removed before they fell down. That's shallow roots. The palm tree has deep roots. And also, it's a very resilient tree because when the storm comes, 
It bends in the wind and then straightens again because it's flexible. It can withstand weather. Uh, anybody been watching Around the World in 80 Days? It's, it's a bit cheesy, but I've quite liked it. And there was one point where, where uh, Phileas Fogg was stuck in the desert and they had to survive a desert sandstorm. And that kind of let you see what storms in the desert are like. And palm trees survive all that and live for a long time. And also they give fruit all the year round. From January onwards, apparently they produce milk. This is not coconut palms. This is desert palms. And then they produce fruit all year round until you get to December and then you get new fruit that gives them milk. And the fruit is a bit like a grapefruit that's soft inside. And that's all from a tree that survives in the desert. So there's a message there for us, isn't there? That the righteous, those who are right with God, will survive like palm trees survive in the desert because the roots run deep. And the other one is they'll um, grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Last weekend, we were up in Inverness and Dorcas, our daughter-in-law, took us for a walk in a forest near Bewley. And it was brilliant. These huge trees, Douglas firs, there's one there that is said to be the highest tree in Europe, which I find hard to believe, 66 meters high. Now imagine what the roots must be like for a tree that's 66 meters high. Well, the cedars of Lebanon are a bit like that. They grow tall and straight. They don't bend, but they're strong because the roots go down deep. And even if they're not near water, the roots go down and find it. They're also evergreen. They don't have a winter. They stay green all the year round. Lots of, of little ornaments are made from cedar wood because it gives a lovely smell in your living room. But cedar wood has always been used to make wooden boats, particularly in the Old Testament days. The boats were all wooden, of course. And uh, Lebanon being by the shore, boat builders would take down cedar trees and make boats from them that would survive. Furniture is made from it as well. And you can get the picture that cedar trees are really useful and strong because the roots go down deep. So the righteous shall flourish as the palm tree and grow as the cedar of Lebanon. Are you aware that you have roots that go down deep? Or are your roots shallow? How much time do you spend in the presence of God? Uh, the next bit says that they are planted in the house of the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was the tabernacle in the wilderness, or eventually the temple that Solomon built. And then there was a second temple after that one was destroyed. And Jews saw that as being the place where God lived. If they wanted to connect with God, they went to the temple. But Jesus in the New Testament makes it absolutely clear that he is like that temple, the place where God dwells. And he 
was among his people, living among them as the presence of God. And when they were with him, they were in the presence of God. So is your life planted in the presence of God? I'm not quite sure exactly what that would mean for all of us, but for me, I find that it's helpful to start my day listening to or reading the Word of God and just spending a bit of time in the presence of the Lord saying, Lord, I'm about to face this day. What am I doing today? Please go with me in it. Stay within me. Let your Holy Spirit work his presence through me. Whatever I'm doing, I don't always remember. And if you're doing something that engrosses you, like you're making something or you're cleaning the house or you're digging the garden or you're working out a maths equation, which I haven't done for many years, you may not always think God is with me. But he never leaves. He is always there. And um, I've read a lot of stuff by a man called Dallas Willard who has said very tellingly that we may think that we're okay, but it's what comes out when we're disturbed and having the time to think about it that betrays what kind of people we are. So what kind of person are you when somebody breaks your concentration or upsets what you're doing and, or annoys you? What comes out? And it's often not what God has put in, but the palm tree and the cedar tell us that those of us who are planted in the presence of God can be different. We're all getting older, some of us more than others. But the next bit of that verse says, they bear fruit in old age. I thought I would get a t-shirt made when I was having a rough time. God has not finished with me yet. Because he hasn't, and he hasn't yet. So if you're beginning to feel that your usefulness is evaporating, it isn't, believe you me. Have you got grandchildren? Have you got neighbors with children? Have you got somebody that you can mentor? Because you can bear fruit even if you're getting older. It does not mean that God stops using you. Just a thought. Right, the New Testament passage. I'm going to read again verse 18. It was, that was the verse that I really wanted. We don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things we, that cannot be seen. For things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And Paul says in Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. And Paul should know there's one passage in one of his letters where he catalogues all the things he went through. He was in prison lots of times. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten and flogged and stoned and ostracized. And even his friends turned against him. But he did not lose the sense of the presence of God, that he was planted 
in the house of the Lord. And his roots went down deeper than all these things. And he could say that his suffering gave him character, perseverance and character. And he never lost hope. Hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. The Bible's full of other examples. Job is an obvious one, yes. Although he struggled, didn't he? Joseph, David, Abraham, Moses, the whole Old Testament, Nehemiah, look at Nehemiah. Things got so bad building the wall that they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other as they tried to build a wall, but they never stopped. They kept going. And why? Because their roots were firmly planted in God. Not in the circumstances, but in God. In the present day, my favorite person, I think, is Desmond Tutu. Let's see what he says. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite the darkness. He died, was it, two weeks ago? 92. Having seen um, South Africa go through the bitterness and division of apartheid to freedom, to a truth and reconciliation committee that he chaired, to a nation that in the end did not have civil war, And why? Because his roots were not based in the world around him, but his roots went down into Christ. And his hope was eternal. Mind you, I think even Desmond Tutu must have had times when he thought, oh, are we ever going to get through this? And you'll feel that. But if your roots go down deep into Christ, you'll survive I get a lot of emails and information from Open Doors, which looks after people, persecuted Christian minorities, and they have a a checklist of 50 nations where Christians have to be resilient to survive. So a clip about a a young woman in North Korea uh, whose Bible was taken and burned in front of her, and who could not admit that she was a Christian or she would have been imprisoned or even killed. So she escaped across the water into China and met some Christians there, but decided that God wanted her to go back, believe it or not. So she swam back across that river into North Korea to what she had left so that she could continue to witness to Jesus Christ. That's resilience. Let me read you a few verses. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah has a name for being miserable. And a lot of the book of Jeremiah is a bit miserable because it's about God's judgment and about the nation falling apart and going into exile. But there's a A wee bit in the middle of it that's like a ray of light. And here it is. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree 
planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Is that you? Do your roots go down to the living water that is Jesus Christ? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 7, verse 37, where Jesus, on a great day of the feast, when they were pouring water out as a symbol of God's provision in the desert, he stands and says, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, out of his belly, out of his inward being, will flow rivers of living water. And John comments on that and he says, This he said of the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. Good, eh? Isn't it? So are your roots out by the stream? Or are you still trying to get sustenance from desert land? Do you just keep going with gritted teeth? Like a lot of people in the world manage to. Or do you keep going because your roots are into Christ. And you ask, how do I get there? Well, God is gracious and he's given us ways of connecting with him that are brilliant. The Bible is the word of God. It's not just words on a page. When you read the Bible, you may find that something comes alive and feeds your spirit. But you have to give it time to do that. Um, I've been trying out sometimes something called Lectio Divina, which most of you will have heard of, where you read the same scripture more than once, and you read it, and then you pause, and you think, does anything stand out here? Read it again. Lord, what are you saying to me in this? And let it become part of you. Or if it's a story in the Bible, put yourself in the story and say, right, I've just been reading about Zacchaeus. I'm imagining that I'm Zacchaeus up this tree. What does it feel like? Oh, Jesus is stopping and he's calling to me. And you suddenly find that God really is calling to you. So I think use the word of God to get into the presence and reality of God. And use prayer as a way of communicating with him. And that doesn't just mean talking. It means sitting quietly. It means when you're out with a dog, talking to God about what's in your heart and what's in your life and stopping to let him speak to you. That is how you get your roots deep into Christ. In the depths of the Old Testament, there's a book called Zephaniah. I bet there are many of you who either haven't read it or I've forgotten what was in it. But Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And when I read that the other day, I stopped and thought, wow. And I had the picture in my head of a mother sitting beside a cot 
with a baby going to sleep, singing over her child. I may have got that entirely wrong, but I kind of think that that's what God meant. He will rejoice over you with singing. So God loves you. And he really likes you even more than you like yourself. And he rejoices over you with singing because by the grace of God, you are in Christ and your roots are down in him. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's somebody whose roots went deep. I've spoken about God speaking in the silence. Let's just let God speak. And if God's speaking to you about something that needs to change in your life and, you're, and you need some support in doing it, you will know people in this congregation here who can help you, who can pray with you and support you as you acknowledge what God has said today. Let's just take a minute. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is so powerful. It's like a two-edged sword. But it's also encouraging, your word. And Lord, we bring to you your word for today. And we ask that you will imprint that in our hearts by the Holy Spirit you've given us. And show us how we can deepen our roots in you within this coming week and in this coming year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.